0: Welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, the podcast taking a look at how emerging trends and technology may impact businesses and the insurance industry as we head into the future. This podcast is brought to you by Allianz Insurance and I'm your host, Steph McGovern. Now today we're going to be talking about e-mobility, a concept referring to electrified power in all types of vehicles, from electric cars to scooters and e-bikes. E mobility already exists today in many forms and is continuing to grow. And it's predicted that electric vehicles will become common on our roads across the UK by 2030. But what will be the impact of this for brokers, businesses, and insurers? Well, to discuss e mobility in more depth, I'm joined by an expert panel Michael Meischer, Global Partner and Director at Allianz Partners. Richard Bill Yeld, Chief Technical Officer at Thatcham Research, and Patrick Hertzky, partner at McKinsey and Company. Well, welcome to all of you gentlemen. Um, Michael, let me start with you just on the very obvious question of what do we mean by e-mobility?
1: First of all, strictly speaking, um, e-mobility includes all street vehicles that are powered by an electric motor and primarily get their energy from the power grid. Or in other words, can be charged externally. However, in a wider sense, e-mobility is a systematic approach. So it includes energy supply. It includes charging and traffic infrastructure. And all of those components are really interconnected and together lead to a sustainable mobility. So the idea is electricity as fuel. And actually, only electricity offers this kind of efficiency advantages as long as it comes from renewable energy sources. So electric mobility is a building block of sustainable mobility and a key driver to really change the way
2: we move around.
0: Can you just tell us a bit about micro-mobility, what it is and what the adoption rate is like for that? And is it something that we're seeing grow?
2: absolutely we're seeing it grow and and so this micro mobility there's there's e-scooters there's the you know the sort of one to two person vehicles, um, and it's the things kind of you know, sub car if you like, um, and it and it's personal mobility is probably another another good good way of describing it, and it really is that it's probably not even last mile, it's probably kind of last quarter a mile, last half a mile, but it again it's another part of that system that that just kind of joins joins the you know the the, the longer journey to to then you know the 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 last bit of the journey to the doorstep um the the quick you know journey to work you know a commute in a city or, or 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 similar sort of things like that i think the the change is not just these kind of evolutionary changes that we the, as a society but i think the the change in mindset that that we're having from from covid for example it is just changing how people see these things how they want to interact you know there's probably a degree of wanting to not jump on a tube um, in London, but get on an e-scooter because it's personal space. Uh, I think that all of that is driving adoption. I think it's very difficult to predict what that's going to look like, um, but but there certainly will be be an effect, and I think we will see more and more of this micro mobility as part of that wider e-mobility system.
1: Yeah, I think micro mobility um, is really kind of the last mile delivery of personal transport, and um, actually, in my view. Um, Micro means small, but there is actually nothing really small about micro mobility. Um, I think we have seen an enormous uh, growth in the last, especially three years. Um, but we also see that the industry is still very much at its um early days uh, uh, at at its early days. So if we think of a company, for example, Lime, which is currently the largest uh, uh, micro mobility provider globally, they uh, created around two hundred million rides in just uh, three and a half years. So, much faster than an Uber or a Lyft have, has ever done. So it's an enormous uh, pace. They have been running a global business model in a very, very short period of time. And yes, COVID was a negative impact for some time, but now we the, most of them actually see a much stronger growth uh, potential. It is a more integrated and connected way of uh, interacting. Just as an example, that you do not only go to one platform such as Lime, Um, Maybe they offer now also different uh, companies on their platform for micromobility, Mobility, but their platform is then interconnected with the Uber platform. And this platform again is interconnected with the Google map. So there is so much more interconnectivity around there, which is really this one customer experience uh, which allows a more integrated way of transportation.
0: And Richard, can you give us some some examples of what this means in terms of transport and travel then?
2: Yeah. building on what michael said it's really about the kind of connecting of all these different types of uh, of electrified vehicles and mobility systems together and so rather than being the kind of end to end getting in a car at, you know one door to travel to another door if you like it's actually how interurban travel may be, you know take may take one form um, urban travel itself may take another form it's maybe less about ownership and more about usage of of these vehicles. And it really is about this sort of whole ecosystem and choosing the right part of that system to fulfil the travel requirement you have.
0: Yeah, and how is this changing the way we travel then?
2: Well, it is that sort of moving away from, it's more sort of travel as a service. It is picking the the right solution for your very specific requirement um, as opposed to just owning a car or getting on a bus or getting on a train so it's really um that sort of that that App based economy, um, gig economy, and all of those different elements uh, are really, yeah, you know, it's this systemized uh, travel uh, approach that we're taking now.
0: Yeah. And, and Patrick, how does e mobility relate to the wider societal change in mobility then?
3: I, I think it's a great question. What we've really seen demonstrated in pretty dramatic fashion uh, through the pandemic and over the last uh, uh, five years prior to that as well. Uh, is really a, a number of megatrends happening and, and, and coming together at the same time, which is important as we think about this trend. One is urbanization. We've had a broad trend towards uh, growth of of urbanization around the world, uh, and in the UK to some degree as well. Um, two, what the pandemic has, has certainly emphasized uh, is that uh, modal transit modes are, are are shifting. Now, in the short term, we've seen a lot of Shifting of modes that are understandable. People are taking mass transit less; they are biasing towards uh, private vehicle uh, usage more. Uh, but what, what's interesting, we've done some recent surveys, is that if we fast forward to a period where consumers think about getting to the next normal, they actually presume that they will move back towards uh, what the, their their mix from before. What has also changed is an awareness that. Air quality has improved, uh, an awareness that uh, that there are potentially other options coming. All of these things are, while well, somewhat unrelated, are coming together and really driving this idea of e-mobility forward.
0: Yeah, and, and I want to pick up on some of that. But first of all, Michael, can I just ask you, I mean, Patrick mentioned there some of the benefits of uh, e-mobility. Is there anything you want to add to that in terms of what the benefits are of it?
1: Yeah, I think... Um um the, what we definitely can see that uh, that we have a, a, a new and uh, accelerating trend so we actually see that mobility is teaming up with the fast evolving new life forms where you know the um, the paradigm of ownership is going to be reduced and it's actually more about sharing and using so it's not anymore about mobility um of owning a car, but really like mobility as a service um, and uh, where people, you know, do not want to buy a car, but rather simply want to drive one. So uh, that's the one piece, the sharing piece, where especially younger generation in the city centers do not want to own the car anymore. Even if they are getting a company car, many of those um, are saying no to it. So... um, the the classical ownership concept is currently being redefined. So the need for an integrated customer journey is actually higher than ever. So that you're using one way of transportation um, at the same time also using a second way of transportation. And these are much more integrated with each other. And I think uh, Richard uh, said it uh, correctly there. This is very much driven out of the platform-powered business and the ecosystems, which have really grown exponentially over the last years.
2: I think the sustainability agenda is really important here as well. And I think in the same way, the, maybe the younger generations and, and the more progressive um, members of society are seeing the benefits of this of e-mobility um, and, and mobility as a service and, and the things that Michael and Patrick mentioned. I think they're also far more aware of the environmental impact of transport, maybe not at a detailed level and, and maybe it's maybe a bit slogan at the moment, but I think the awareness is really there and there's a a real desire to, to address that, to be more um, yeah, environmentally friendly. If you like more green, um, and, and to use these more sustainable modes of transport as opposed to the you know the buy, use, throw away um, approach that we that we've sort of taken over the last uh, last few decades.
0: Do we have the infrastructure in the UK to support? Electric vehicles
2: yet. Inevitably, it's it's the infrastructure that's lagging. I think that's a you know a, a sort of standard model really, almost with with introductions of new technologies. But it's slowly getting there. And I think um, if if you look at Tesla's, or, or it's frequently a good example in these conversations. But if you look at one of the absolute sort of masterstrokes they made was to implement their own charging infrastructure across the UK and across the world, um, or, or certain parts of the world. And I think that's a real uh just change of mindset for consumers, so Patrick talked about those those costs um and and the a barrier there, and that that barrier still exists and I know it's something that Tesla are looking at specifically as well but also yeah the 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 charging infrastructure or lack thereof um not everyone can charge at home if you live yeah if you've got on street parking if you live in a flat for example then then that's more of a challenge and then if you haven't um got a got a tesla and don't have the massive benefit of that integrated charging network at the moment and it's only just just starting to change but at the moment you need you know seven different um cards 10 different apps, you're paying different rates, you're paying in different ways. You, some you've got to pre-charge, some it's by, you know, you're paying per 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 kilowatt, um, per kilowatt hour. It's just confusing. And I think that's the biggest thing. So the infrastructure needs to catch up both in terms of hardware, if you like, places where you can charge, but also in terms of clarity and delivery um, of that to the consumers so that it does become. Uh, comfortable and people can be you know can can make the journeys they want to make that are different be- because the these vehicles are different with the range and, and and that sort of thing but we need to get the comfort of the com- consumers delivered through the infrastructure
3: i do think we need a significant ramp up in the amount of infrastructure that we have available both in what we consider kind of slower l2 chargers which can be placed in shopping areas or Uh, You know, parking garages of the like, but also in critically in DC fast charging, uh, which are the chargers that will actually enable people to charge in a more similar way than they're used to. It will still take longer to charge or to top up fully than it would at a petrol station, but significantly less. And you know, recent report I think had the UK government forecasting another 5,000 chargers through the end of 2021. Uh, We need significantly more than that in the coming years beyond 2021 uh, if we're going to achieve the goals uh, and especially phase out diesel and then petrol uh, as, as the government uh, is striving to do. So there will need to be a significant amount of investment. The good news is that some of that will come, uh, a lot of that will come from the private sector, uh, but that may need to be stimulated in some way through, uh, you know, public-private partnerships or, or other moves that will help accelerate that. Uh, And we haven't even talked about the commercial vehicle landscape or bus. uh, And so there's a whole nother set of infrastructure investments that need to happen to to help support uh, that rollout of e-mobility as well.
2: I think there are things that can be done, there's systems being looked at, projects being worked on now where actually, you know, those EVs that are plugged into the grid actually provide a degree of kind of reservoir, if you like, so that um, peak demand on the grid can be managed by actually taking energy back out of the vehicles that that are connected. And that's where I think this really needs to get to. It's not just X number of chargers to suit X number of, of electric vehicles. It's actually, again, integrating the system, having an intelligent system that works as a system is is really crucial. And and to just extend, again, what what Patrick said around commercial vehicles, an added um, infrastructure complication here is actually the potential for those commercial vehicles, especially the heavier ones, to be powered by hydrogen fuel cells. So still electric, still e-mobility, but actually, the fuel is delivered through you know, hydrogen into a fuel cell and and then having the necessary infrastructure around the country to deliver the hydrogen in the same way we deliver fossil fuels currently. The other element of infrastructure is looking at it the other way is just being able to provide the the power required to deliver that infrastructure, to actually have enough you know, electricity in the grid, if you like, to satisfy the demand. Um, and that's obviously a, a point that's been raised on a number of occasions around the UK government's 2030 um, deadline for, for electrified vehicles.
0: Yeah. Um, we touched on commercial fleets using electric vehicles. Patrick, what are you seeing in terms of uh, businesses using them?
3: Well, we are, we're seeing quite a lot of activity Right now, that's quite recent and dynamic, especially in the smaller end of last mile delivery fleets, uh, driven by big names, uh, all of the major parcel and post uh, companies around Europe, uh, UK, the US, are, are looking at electrified vehicles as part of their future solution. Major commitments of hundreds of thousands of vehicles have already been made. We're seeing new startups pop up, uh, including here in, in the United Kingdom. Uh, which are quite exciting and getting a lot of buzz from investors as as providing some of the solutions for for that demand. And we're seeing that extend up into the medium-duty truck space as well, which is um, uh, going to be uh, another big growth uh, driver, especially in urban environments, where certain city regulations are also going to dictate soon. Uh, Paris, for example, that uh, vehicles going in and out, even medium-duty trucks need to be zero emissions soon. And so that's creating demand on its own. Uh, as battery prices are coming down, we're also seeing those vehicles really uh, in the money, so to speak, uh, right now with certain routes, especially routes that are highly predictable, uh, routes where uh, the charging can happen one or two times per day or overnight. Uh, those routes are often uh, achieving a savings for those fleets that are transitioning to those vehicles. Um, the, the commercial vehicle trend, though, has trailed a little bit behind the passenger car trend. So there's also a, a little bit of a shortage of supply right now of vehicles from uh, even from the new startups and from the traditional truck makers. And so we're in a bit of a uh, an interesting transitionary period where we uh, we could actually see demand outstrip supply in certain markets. Uh, for for one or two years,
1: yeah, I think uh, from the insurance side, we see um, an increasing demand actually for e mobility on the fleet side. Not only by fleet operators, such as you know companies um, uh, who also have to meet their CO two emission targets, but also by these um, the software providers or the fleet professional fleet management providers who are offering their clients then a different way of um, reducing the overall cost of operation for their fleet. So it's about um, with the additional data they can actually now get out of an uh, electric vehicle, they can uh, do a much um, stronger fleet health and monitoring. Um, I think for the insurance side, it's also we, we get much more usage-based uh, data, w- which allows us also more usage-based insurance instead. And. Uh, Uh, There is an increasing um, level of safety and security improvements, what we can see, for example, driver behavior uh, improvement overall. So I would agree that especially on the last mile delivery um, and the mid-range delivery, we definitely can see um, an increasing trend to this. But in the end, I believe that uh, the cost of operation to be reduced overall for the fleet through e-mobility is quite significant over the period of time.
0: Yeah. And what does this mean, Michael, in terms of insurance products? That how are they having to change to adapt?
1: Insurance um, has been a bit slow, actually, I must say, um, in the reaction of adjusting to this. Um, I think there are ways of um, pricing now, not anymore on an annual yearly basis, but now really more on a telematics basis. So usage-based, I believe, is really the the major shift. Um on the insurance side, so that we are pricing on a per minute or per trip. So especially on the micro-mobility side, uh, we actually saw that um, the the benefit of usage-based um, insurance, as many of the service providers for micro-mobility needed to stop their services, and that meant they didn't have any operational expenses. So, um for them, it was a significant advantage of being priced like that. And actually also for the insurance companies, is of an it's of a good advantage because uh, we can actually better price on the data connectivities we are receiving. But I believe, you know, the insurance industry reaction overall needs to not only be on the mobility side, it also needs to be on the ecosystem around it. So it's about the battery performance guarantee, or it's about... Um, the EV tailored insurance for uh, motor insurance or it's about uh, the wall box insurance or the e-bike um, accident and theft insurance or the charging infrastructure insurance or the corporate insurance to the battery deposit. So there is a full value chain behind it, which needs specific solutions to it. And uh, I think there is a, an increasing demand also uh, in the near future.
3: Maybe just uh, building on that, Michael, uh, all great points and a few other considerations that uh, may be important for for insurers. One is the changing dynamic of residual values. And uh, as these are important, as you think about the assessment of a vehicle or or, or an accident, something like that, uh, residual values historically for EVs, especially first generation, second generation EVs, were actually quite poor outside of the very premium. Uh, vehicles. So some of the premium uh, EVs that were longer range, they held their value pretty well. Uh, A lot of the smaller end of the spectrum really uh, declined dramatically. And this uh, was from a number of factors, at least in our study, uh, some of them real, some of them perceived by consumers and frankly worried about the battery longevity uh, being one of the biggest drivers. You know, as batteries have now gotten a lot more uh, reliable and lasting much, much longer, and e-mobility components, the electric motors and uh, and other other components, actually expected to last longer than most um, internal combustion engines. We could actually be at a point in a few years where we could see a bit of a flip flop, where we could start to see um, the electric vehicle being viewed as something that is a longer-term asset, whether it's for a, a personal individual consumer or for a business, and actually retain more value. Whereas then on trade. A, a diesel comparison or a petrol comparison actually feel like it's worth less to a to a consumer or, or to a business. And so that tipping point, I think, will be a really important one uh, to pay close attention to as, as an insurer um, as, as they think about how this transition uh, bears out.
0: So taking all of that on board then, Michael, what is it you think that brokers need to know?
1: So first of all, I think um, um, there is a shift of customer demand. That's number one. I think uh, we will see also shift in distribution for brokers. So there is a trend towards um, embedded insurance. So it's part of the customer journey. So if you look into, um, for example, when you ride an e-scooter today, you, there is actually already an insurance included on the ride. So there is no extra need to buy insurance somewhere else. So it is included in the trip; it's embedded. I think there is also a trend towards more online sales for electric vehicles, and um, also the insurance is then connected to that. So the more you buy online, the more in, you know the embedded insurance is in the online uh, sales. On the sales side, therefore, on the retail sales side, I believe there will be a shift of distribution, and it's probably harder for brokers than also to um, play a role. However. There is um, quite an increase also on the fleet management side. There will be more ways of interconnecting with corporates, um, and and there is a bigger need for more uh, tailored solutions around that, where I believe there is um, a big demand also for brokers to play a role, but it needs to be also a way that the broker can guide through the different solutions the insurers are also now providing.
0: Well, a massive thank you to all of my guests on today's panel. Michael Maisha at Alliance Partners, Richard Billield from Thatcher Research and Patrick Hertzky from McKinsey & Company. Now, for all of our latest episodes, don't forget to subscribe on your usual podcast provider and we would love to hear what your thoughts are on the episode. So if you can please leave us a, a review, that would be smashing. And don't forget to listen to our other episodes. I'm Steph McGovern. Thanks for listening.